Welcome to the Tanya Acker Show. Hello, hello, hello. And thank you for being here. I have a great lawyer with me here today. She's also a great friend, Stacy Phillips. She is one of the most accomplished family and matrimonial lawyers in the country. She's represented uh, lots of people in these uh, very bitter and emotional disputes. She's got some very, very good nuggets to share with us today. That's why I invited her here. She is also the author of Divorce. It's all about control, how to win the emotional, psychological, and legal wars. And she's a very dear friend of mine, and we have a very special project in common. So here I am with Stacy Phillips. Thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate you. What's your best advice for people who find themselves in the middle of a very contentious family law battle in court? When you were talking about the name of your podcast, it reminds me of my book, Divorce is all about control, how to win the emotional, psychological, and legal wars. And I mean that. But the thrust of the book is how to stay out of court, how to have control of yourself and try to take control of the process. And that doesn't always mean being controlling. With that background, if you have to go to court, you really need to think about, do you really, really, really have to go to court? Court is expensive both to your purse and to your inner being. Um, as they say in Yiddish, it gets to your kishkas, your insides. And you need to really think about, is it worth it? Is the amount in dispute really worth that price that you pay going to court? Don't just fight the fight to fight the fight. It's much better, in my opinion, sometimes to walk away and gain rather than spending so much and you may win the battle and lose the war. But if you're going to court, wear the white hat. Be reasonable, be calm. Judges are human beings. In California, we do not have juries for family law. So you're playing to a judge. You wanna connect with the judge. You wanna sound like the reasoned and reasonable person. And pick a lawyer that judges like. I had one judge tell me once that uh, she assumed that the client would be like the lawyer that they hired. And that's true in chapter four of my book, I talk about how to pick a lawyer. If you have a very bombastic lawyer, then generally speaking, your client is going to be more bombastic or needs a bombastic lawyer. So as she told me, she's going to assume that the client is honest if the lawyer is honest. And she told the story of one day she finally talked to a particular client that the client understand and realized for the past year she had been thinking he was reasonable because he had a great reasonable lawyer and realized, oh my God, now I know why this lawyer never put this person in front of me because he's anything but. So wear the white hat, be reasoned, be reasonable, be calm and give it your best shot. But you know, so you just pointed out a couple of things that I think are worth expanding upon. One, you said pick a lawyer that judges like, I think it's hard for lay people to know that, but more to the point, Stace, you know, you say that you want a lawyer who is really going to offset like the client's emotion at the time, right? So if someone is emotional, you want a lawyer who's going to help take it down a notch. But practicing in your arena, if somebody is fighting about dissolving a relationship, especially if they feel like they've been wronged, 
Don't you think that there is sometimes an impulse to pick somebody who is going to pull out the big shiny sword and cut down the other side to make you feel better? Like, isn't that sometimes what people are looking for? Absolutely. I've had more clients, men and women say, I need somebody to help me get out of my own way. I know I'll give away the store or I'm used to being bullied or controlled. Uh, I had one client, uh, actually two at the same time, two women who called me up and said, I really like you, but my husband only respects men. So I'm going to hire a man. And each of them were married to a bully controlling husband. And both of them called me a few months later and said, I made a big mistake. I picked a lawyer like my husband. I need a lawyer more like you. And some people do need that other choice. I am not a man. I am not a bully. And if that's what you need, go for it. But pick a lawyer that you can relate to. How many times have you uh, given advice to somebody when they're picking a pediatrician or picking a, a therapist? Pick somebody who you don't feel foolish calling, you feel comfortable calling. It's the same with your lawyer. There are no stupid questions, only the ones not asked. And you want to feel comfortable calling them and not feel judged by them, feel supported by them. No surprise that many of my clients become my good friends because we get to know each other in that intimate setting. But you're absolutely right. Sometimes people need lawyers to fight that fight for them. But that doesn't mean fighting, being bombastic, spending unnecessary money going to court. Fighting is about being a surgeon, using a knife deftly and efficiently. And sometimes you can do that and sometimes the other side makes it so much bigger that it's hard to be as efficient as you would like. But again, do not mistake fight for court. That's interesting what you said. That's, a, I, I think, a really beautiful analogy. Fight like a surgeon. So for instance, if a surgeon is trying to extract or do cancer or surgery on cancer, the surgeon doesn't take the knife and then just start jabbing at all parts of the body. The surgeon does a very delicate, uh, intricate, and well-calibrated incision into the problem. So unlike medicine and surgery, law gives rise to all of these ancillary fights. And in your arena, uh, when people are fighting over family law issues, it becomes so emotional and so personal that it can be hard to separate the need to exact some vengeance on the person who hurt you from the need to protect your pocketbook and the sanity. What was the Yiddish word you said for how court gets in your head? Oh, I said it gets in your insides, your kishkas. It gets in your insides. It really does. It really does. And I don't know that people realize that. So what do you tell your clients when they come to you and they say, you know what? We may not win this battle, but I want to fight it anyway because I hate him. What do you say? Or her? What do you say? Bye. <laughs> I literally, I fire clients who are not going to be reasonable in their expectations. I had one client once who said, I want 100% custody of my child and I want 100% of his paycheck. And I said, goodbye. Because no matter how much I talked to her, she was so hurt and so angry, rightly so, for what happened to her. But you can't go forward with unreasonable expectations because you'll end up blaming your lawyer. 
if a lawyer ever hears, I don't care what it costs, I'd rather pay you than him or her, they don't mean it. They absolutely don't mean it, nor should they mean it. So I try to talk reasonably to clients, set reasonable expectations. But if somebody's not going to listen and they just want to fight with an unreasonable position, I want no part of that. I don't want to watch them go down the drain. I fired two clients in the past few months for exactly those reasons, because they had unreasonable expectations and I did not want to be the casualty of their unreasonable expectations. I think that's a great point. And also it reminds me that regardless of the amount of money that's in dispute, people will be fighting about the same things. I don't care if you got $50 million or 5 million or 5,000, a lot of the, or less than that. I think a lot of these, you know, when you're in the middle of an emotional fight, it can all come from the same place. But let's just talk about numbers for a second. So people um, have some sense and without naming names, if you care to, uh, you can demure from this question, but can you just give people some sense? And I know you practice at the very high end, but can you give people some sense of how expensive these fights can be? How much money might somebody end up? You know, you think you got uh, fighting over a divorce. You think you've got a nice nest egg. You're really mad over the affair or the whatever that he or she did. You really want to end it. What, can, what might the number look like? There are several factors that go into that answer. So the answer is, I don't know. But let me talk about some of the factors. One, how complex the estate is. You could be dealing with billions of dollars and all the tax intricacies and estate planning intricacies and lots of different LLCs or limited partnerships are how things are set up. So just from the business side, without fighting, it could be very expensive. Second, if there's domestic violence involved, that can get very expensive. If you go to trial, that could get very expensive. If you have a custody dispute, I represented one dad from the time the kids were five and six to the time they were 18. And then I was no longer representing him because the kids were over 18. But that entire period of time, post-judgment, we had custody issues. So it was millions and millions and millions of dollars over a 12 plus year period. Would I have expected that when I started? I thought it was gonna be a year of fighting. So, uh, and then the, since I speak in threes, the third is how reasonable or unreasonable both parties and their lawyers are. I've had pretty decent people on both sides, but the other side picked a lawyer who was completely unreasonable and just made the case crazy, spending money that the parties should never have spent. But then again, I always say people pick a lawyer that they align with. And in those cases, that client who I thought might have been reasonable should have used their head and picked a different lawyer. And sometimes they do. And sometimes they don't. So I can't answer the question. I can only give you things to think about. When someone is in this battle or this type of battle. And let's just say they have a reasonable lawyer like you who is not encouraging fights, but is actually trying to encourage finality mm -hmm. uh, in a reasonable way. Sometimes they might have a Stacy on one side and another type of lawyer Correct. on the other. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what people can do mm -hmm. when their opponent 
isn't fighting fair. Uh, how do you get sanctions in a divorce proceeding when somebody is just, let's say, not giving you information they're supposed to give you, not showing up at things when they're supposed to show up and forcing you to spend a lot of money? Because that's a strategy. Part of the strategy uh, in, in your field is to get the other side to spend a bunch of money. Um, it's a way of exercising leverage. How do you fight back against that? It's not just a strategy in family law. It's often a strategy in litigation. Indeed. A form of bullying, um, wearing somebody down till they cry uncle or aunt. It is not so easy getting sanctions. And one of the things that I find the most frustrating is when somebody on the other side is being the most unreasonable. Sometimes judges don't really grab it. Even if they were practitioners like us and we want to say, don't forget where you came from, you know who the lawyers are who are completely unreasonable. And part of that is because things get lost in translation. When you live through it every single day, you know how obstinate, obstreperous the other side is. But when you put it on a piece of paper, it sort of pales in comparison to the court is used to seeing really, really, really bad things. And in comparison, this may not be quite as bad. And three, there's a cost of going to court to get sanctions. And judges don't generally give 100 cents on the dollar. Have I gotten 100 cents on the dollar from judges in the past? Yes. Is that completely rare? Absolutely. And again, there's the expense of putting it together and telling the story. That could be tens and tens and tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars to tell the story when you're trying to collect that amount of money. Is that wrong? Is that frustrating? Is that lacking justice? You bet. But sometimes you just got to sort of pull in your britches and figure out the most cost-effective way of accomplishing your goal. And that may be just to say, I'm done. I'm not playing this game anymore. This is what I want. I'll go to court for that, but I'm not going to get um, pulled to the sidelines and fight the unwinnable fight. I think, if I am understanding you correctly, my friend, part of what you're suggesting is that people really have to segregate their emotion, emotional pain, anger, whatever the emotion is. You've got to segregate that from the legal fight because the legal fight will never give you the emotional satisfaction that you're looking for. I, I think that's where you're going. That's right? like it's not going to make you feel. It's not going to make you feel right. You're not going to feel. Uh, it's never going to give you that great sense of justice that you might desire when you're in the middle of such an a, an emotional warfare. I absolutely agree with um, your conclusion, and that's one of the reasons why I strongly suggest that my clients have a really good therapist, and I try to work cooperatively with the therapist. For example, a therapist might say to the patient, you know, you're really having a hard time with this. This is not the right time to really focus on your divorce or try to settle it. And I could be saying to the client, uh, he or she is feeling guilty now. This is, you know, the time to get it done. So if the lawyer and the therapist are not working in concert in that example, it's a problem for the client who feels put in the middle. Um, the flip side could be true. The therapist could be saying, you know, in order for my client, my patient to move forward, uh, this needs to be done. And my response may be, I don't have enough information to try to get as good a deal as possible or be prepared to go to court. I also give hugs. 
that comes with the uh, the representation free of charge. And sometimes people just need a hug. This is a really, really difficult time. Even when people are on their best behavior, there's a saying that divorce lawyers represent basically good people on their worst behavior and criminal lawyers represent not so great people on their best behavior. That in my world, when people are going through a divorce, they're in a fugue state. They don't know which foot to put in front of the other. Getting up each day and getting their daily routine doing is is hard. And yet they're expected to make the most important decisions of their lives. So it's a um, it's counterintuitive. It's difficult when my clients are having a rough time. I acknowledge that because it's real. And frankly, if they didn't have a rough time going through a divorce, there'd be something wrong with them it would mean they'd have no heart. But yes, it is best to try to compartmentalize between the emotions and the business side of it. But that doesn't mean it's easy. The, it's not easy, but it might save you a lot of money because one thing that people may not know about the family law arena, and uh, I'm only a California lawyer, but you can end up paying the other side's legal fees. And that's without any decision about who was right, who was wrong, who was you know, who's the good person, who's the bad person. There are some mechanisms whereby one side can pay the other side's legal fees just because they have more money, which I think creates huge incentives for litigation, uh, frankly. Um, Look, we understand, I, I do understand why you have this rule, because often in marriages and partnerships, there's one person who's controlling the paycheck or one person who's, you know, might be the larger income generator and one person who's not. And you don't want to disadvantage the person who isn't. That's the policy. Right. So it's a good, there there are legitimate policy reasons for it. But don't you think, Stacey, that if you were that person with lesser economic power, that it becomes far easier for you to just keep fighting if that person you're mad at is going to keep paying your lawyers? So what you're really saying, and rightly so, is both sides have to have skin in the game. And I I am dealing with one case now where I believe the other side is basically only charging their client what my client will end up paying which is wrong. But most of the time, judges do not order 100 cents on the dollar, let alone 80 cents on the dollar, let alone 70 cents on the dollar. So the non-earning or lesser earning spouse will have bills and they should think about it before they expect the other side to uh, pony up most of the money. And uh, how's it going to feel when you see, oh, you still owe me $100,000 even though Uh, your spouse was ordered to pay $400,000 as an example. So yes, it could be an incentive, but when all is said and done, unless somebody is just going to walk away from all their attorney's fees, they're going to be required to pay some fees and they really should think about being smart in the battles they fight, both sides. Which is why it becomes so important to do what you suggested, which is find another way to vent, air, explain the frustration you have. Because if you try to do it in court, 
somebody is going to spend a lot more money than need be. And you know what? Even if you are the lesser earning spouse, you might want to make a play for that cash for it to come, go somewhere else than in your lawyer's Absolutely. pocket, right? Like if you're not if you're not the one with the higher income potential, why not say to that your former partner, you should be paying me and maybe our children instead of my lawyers. I think it's something to think about. Called cost of litigation instead of paying it to the professionals. And I say that to my clients, I would rather you pay your spouse than paying me. So be more generous and keep it in your family rather than sending my kids to school They're growing <laughs> up when they were going to school. Have you ever had, do you, do you have like a great success story to share? Like something where somebody came into the ring really, really mad. I mean, maybe, you know, a wronged spouse, somebody who really had a huge ax to grind and somehow, some way, you were able to talk them off the ledge by pointing out all of the things that you've just pointed out to my viewers and listeners? I actually, that happens a lot. But what popped into my head was a client of mine who came to me so wounded, she looked like a bag of bones. Uh, not that she wanted to fight and be angry, but I wanted her to feel who she was again, be her her best self again. And we ended up with a wonderful resolution, including she was getting remarried and got a buyout of spousal support. And the other side knew she was getting remarried or expected she would get remarried. But normally when you pay spousal support, it ends at death or remarriage. Therefore, why would her husband be willing to pay money that was gonna end? But we did, he did. So she got a pile of money and she got remarried and she lived her best life. How did you convince someone's ex-husband who could have completely just been done with all of his spousal support obligations upon remarriage? How do you convince that person to say, you know what, you should just keep paying? So How did that happen? I actually, in many cases, will suggest to the other side or my client, even while support is being paid, if your spouse wants to get remarried, you will give that spouse a monetary gift to encourage them to get remarried and cut off your support. In this case, I mean, you'll laugh. My client said, I know this is not likely, but I really want you to try. And a psychic told her it was going to happen. So, of course, I had to prove to myself that I could make this happen. And I somehow managed to convince the other side. And it was a good deal. It was a good deal to end everything. So I am laughing because it was all you. I'm not giving any credit to the psychic. <laughs> I think maybe the client believed in the psychic. And so Stacy so being a good lawyer. <laughs> That's my girl. <laughs> uh, Stacy, you are such a champion and you are such a fighter and you're a fighter for your clients and you're a fighter for people. But let's talk a little bit about things that are important to you and what your uh, personal fights are about. Talk to me a little bit. I think I know. But, you know uh, exactly what I'm going to say. Talk. To, yeah, I do. Tell us we about share it. this passion. We do. We do. And tell us about it. Talk to us about uh, the big fight and the big cause that's important to both of us. We are both very lucky. And my philosophy is if you do well, you have to do good. 
And that means my time, my money, my mouth. And uh, we have spent more time together recently because we're both on the board of public council. I will have very large shoes to fill because you are going to be the chair of the board right before I am. Um, and those are for people in our community and then nationwide who are the victims of the system and of life of our country. Uh, and we strive hard to support our lawyers and public counsel, uh, our policyholders, our advocates to change the system, to fight for the individual and to um, try and to change the system across the country and um, impact litigation. And we are both passionate about it. I always thought that public counsel was like the pinnacle of a nonprofit. I've been on many boards. I've been the chair of many boards. And when I was asked to join this board, I was like, wow, like I've arrived. That That is so cool. My firm is being recognized. My firm is a national firm, but we had not had the LA office for that many years. Um, when I was asked to join the board. And for those of you listening, go look up public council, donate, volunteer, support. It's incredibly important. Publiccouncil.org. It is in my heart. It is in Stacy's heart. We are uh, colleagues on this board and we'll do all we can to continue to support this incredible organization. Stacy Phillips. First off, everybody, you have to read her book. Because even if you're going through this and you don't know Stacy and can't call Stacy and can't have her show up and uh, be your champion in court, read the book. We're going to put the book cover up so you can see it. Just remember what Stacy said. You got to separate. You got to separate the emotional war from the court fight when you're going through a divorce. Two entirely different battles. And if you fuse them, you might go broke. Do I have that right, Stacy. Yes, ma'am. You're a champion and you're the best. And you're also my wonderful friend. I really appreciate you. you. And thank you for being here. I love you right back, sis. <laughs> 